know, the concept of as God instructs, he has set up the, the earth just as we have nations and kingdoms and governing powers. Also in the spiritual realm, there's going to be nations and kingdoms and governing powers. And that the, de the devil has legal rights to your life if you allow him. Somebody say, oh no. Uh, last week we talked about just different sins that will allow the enemy into your life. We talked about um, soul ties through relationships that allow them to cross that bridge. We talked about the demonic vows, which you speak sometimes. Uh, I spoke to you on unforgiveness. I spoke to you on generational curses or ancestral sins. And I believe that's where I left off. Amen? So I'll pick up from there and grab the hand of the person around you. Dear Heavenly Father, we've come into your presence, God, just to hear a, a rhema from you tonight, God, that you would be able to be glorified in the, in the words we speak, that as we study your word, God, that we would gain a knowledge and a depth and perception, God, as to who you are and what you desire from us, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen? Um, one of the many ways that <clears throat> you can unknowingly allow the enemy into your life is, uh, if you're taking notes, write it down, it's childhood rejection. Much demonic bondage is caused during childhood. For example, if a parent shows rejections toward their children, um, a spirit of rejection may enter into that child and they may be able to, to, in a sense, reject the things of God because the rejective spirit is all they know from their parents. It's, it's, a, it's a very thing that we all know that you know the things you know because your parents taught you them. Whether they taught you them through their actions or through their words or told you what and not to do, um, you never have to teach a kid how to lie, huh? Kids know how to lie from the moment they're born. You don't have to teach a kid some things, but some things kids learn. Uh, rejection is a learned behavior. Anybody deals with rejection in your life? Come on, doesn't deal well with rejection. Um, rejection's a learned behavior. And so what happens is that when you have been rejected by since a childhood, you are used to it, you become used to it, and because you are so trying not to be like that, you become just like it in a sense, and you reject God in many areas of your life. It's, it's the same thing as if, uh, how would you say, going from one extreme to the other, and you become the exact thing you're trying not to become half your life. If I sat here every day, and I preached on a hypocritical church, sooner or later our church would become hypocritical because we're trying so hard not to be a hypocrite that we become a hypocrite some way, somehow. You with me? It's just what happens. Um, you have to realize that, that if you've been rejected as a, as a child, even now, or by somebody you loved, that you have to make a solid choice to forgive, which leads back to the tie of unforgiveness in your life. Unforgiveness in your life is a clear, open door for the enemy to come in, do whatever he wants, say whatever he wants, have his way with your life, and you have to realize that the Bible says if you forgive others, then God forgives you. So if you're harboring unforgiveness in your life, then God does not forgive you, and you could never ever get into heaven if you can't forgive people for the things they've done to you. If you can't get over some of the things that somebody hurt you, somebody said about you, then you've got to realize that you right now are not on the road to inheriting the kingdom of God. So if you're struggling with unforgiveness, and most of us are, if you died right now, chances are you just might not make it to heaven. Because not what you did, but because what you couldn't do, which was forgive somebody for what they did. So you pay for somebody else's sins because you do not realize how to let go of their own sins. You following me? Um, a point of weakness in your life. 
When the person experiences weakness such as emotional shock, physical trauma, fearful experiences during your childhood or during your adult life, and other areas to which the natural walls of defenses in the physical, they become spiritual or emotional prison systems in your life and you are weakened. So what happens is if you've been struck or you got scared or you had a traumatic experience, suppose somebody runs into your house and they put a gun to your head and they rob and steal everything in your house and now you're scared to be home alone. And the enemy can come in through that spirit of weakness because you have to understand fear is not of God. The Bible says fear not how many times? 365 times, one for every day of the year. And God understands that he tells you to fear not. So if you're sitting there saying, okay, I had a traumatic experience and now I am afraid. By you saying I'm afraid now, you realize I'm in direct conflict of what God desires for me to be like. And you give the enemy the legal right to mess with you and to give you situations in your life as to you being fearful. So because you've allowed the devil into your life because you're saying, I'm afraid now, he can mess with you and make you afraid. Now, some of you have different levels of fear, different things you're afraid of and different things you're not afraid of. I'm afraid of heights. Anybody afraid of heights? Manny's afraid of heights. You're afraid of heights. Some people are afraid of dogs. Anybody afraid of a dog here? Yvette, deathly afraid of a dog. <coughs> Yvonne, Renati. Anybody fear, af afraid of a, a claustrophobic? Anybody claustrophobic? Yeah? And there's different fears you have in life. There's just different things you're not cool with. I have a fear of needles. Um, I go to the doctor and I just hate needles. I, 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 just, I said it a thousand times, you'll never see me doing heroin because I just won't touch a needle. Needles are crazy. They're scary to me. I don't even like sewing needles. They could poke you. I'd rather have you stab me and open a gash on my arm rather than poke me with a needle. Shoot me. Do anything. Hit me with a baseball bat. Don't poke me with a needle. Anything else but needles. Now, on, this, on the other aspect, there's, um, there's people who have no fear. Anybody here feel they're really fearless in life? They're fearless back there? You're fearless? I know, you're, I, I know, I know Josh here, if you have for some free time, check his um, YouTube uh, channel out. He's somebody who I think is quite fearless. He does all types of crazy stunts, um, jumping off of cliffs. I mean, um, uh, bicycle bi on his uh, motorcycle stunts, all types of crazy stuff. And I told him, you're, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. I know the enemy probably can't get him through fear, but maybe one of you two, he just might be able to. You see, the, if there's a point of weakness in your life, the enemy is going to try and infiltrate it. Case in point, when you're arguing with somebody, what are the things you say to them? Huh? You hate, uh, you hate them? If you're really trying to get somebody mad, you're really trying to just get under their skin and hurt them. <laughs> so if you know them, you know what about them? Their fears, you know their dirt. You know who they've been with. You know what they've done, who they stole from, who they robbed. You know who they hate. You know how they made, a, they made themselves look horrible, how, how they made themselves look like a skank or whatever it is or just a thief. And you bring it and you drag all their dirty laundry out. And then they're ready to fight you because you said nothing but that was the truth. What you said was true. You expose them for what, for their past, and, and is that not right? Y'all acting so innocent, I would never pastor, not me. 
And you would drag in all their dirt, and you would, well, you used to do this, you used to do that, and you're this, and you're that. So you can purposely try to hurt them. Why? Because it's a point of weakness in their life. So what makes you think the devil won't do the same thing to you? Because that's where you got the idea from in the first place. So when it comes to your life, he's going to tell you, well, you used to do drugs. And, and you used to sleep around. And, and you used to do this. And you used to have that problem. And although what he's saying is true, you begin to get offended because of it. And you feel down about yourself. Instead of saying, well, the Bible says who the Son sets free is free indeed. Or instead of saying, I'm redeemed, I'm new, I'm transformed in my mind. The Bible calls me and Romans a new creation. So, devil, you got to leave me alone. But no, we say, you know, he's right. And, oh, I can't get over my issues of my past. And I've done so much and I just don't know how I'm going to move forward beyond who I used to be. And to become who God wants me to be. And right then, the devil has the access, the keys into your life. He's got the keys to your life. Somebody say, uh-huh. You've got to realize that you cannot be vulnerable for the enemy to attach himself to you. Whether it's drinking, excessive amounts of alcohol, or, or any type of addiction in your life. Any type of, um, it could be an addiction to a person. Anybody ever had an addiction to a person? One, two, three, four. Four honest people. Everybody should be like, yeah, pastor, once five, I, once I did, pastor. We've all had that point in our life. Most of us are, are adults over 20 years old. We've all had that experience where we've been addicted to somebody. And we thought at that point in our life we couldn't get by without them. And our life was going to be over in high school when somebody broke up with you and you were just like trashed for life and you were in the depths of despair. And you had an un, uh, ungodly soul tie slash point of weakness and addiction to a person. You become codependent on the, or rather your joy becomes codependent on that person's status with you. Same thing here. If you have that in your life, it's a point of weakness. And the enemy can easily come into your life through a point of weakness. You with me so far? This next one's kind of tough. Somebody said, uh-oh. Spoken self-curses. Um, the words we say have a spiritual value. The Bible says to bless and not curse that the tongue has the power of life and death. If you walk around saying, I wish I would just die, well, you give the enemy the right to come into your life and kill you. If uh, a demon may hear you saying all those things, he can go to God and say, look, Sister Diana wants to die. That's what she wants. What's God going to say? You've already signed a contract, basically, for your life with the devil at that point. They have the legal right, spiritually speaking, into your life. It's all about the legality of the contract, is it not? So instead of pleading the blood over our life when things get bad, we say stuff like, I wish I was never born. I used to hear that a lot. If I had known how you were going to be when you got older. Oh, here I am. 16 years later, can't do anything about it. You know, that was at five years old. I'm just kidding. But um, these spoken self-curses, you can be dealing, and let's be honest, anybody ever spelt with a, uh, dealt with a spirit of suicide? Come on, raise your hand if that's you. One, two, three. A lot of us, the majority of us. Wow, okay. And what happens is, are you honest, folks? Thank you. What happens is at some point, you made a statement such as that, and now you wrestle with the spirit of death, a spirit of, self, of, of suicide, uh, 
And you wrestle with that because why? Because at some point you open that door. And you never thought to say once, you know, not that I rebuke the spirit of suicide. You never thought to say, I curse the day, Father God, I curse the day that I allowed this into my life. We keep on rebuking the spirit. You rebuke him, he leaves, and then he comes back. Because he's still got the contract. That's like when, the, when, when, you, when, you, when your owner comes, your landlord comes, he comes to get your rent. You may not have it then, he'll leave and he will come back. Because he plans to collect what is his. So just like the devil comes into your life, he plans to collect what he feels is his because you signed a contract with your mouth. Let me tell you something interesting. The Bible says you are made in the image of God. The primary reason you're made in the image of God is not just because of how you look, your likeness. It's because the Bible says that you have the power of life and death in your mouth. How do you think God created the heavens and the earth? He didn't come down and shape it. He did it it with his mouth. His very words actually created the heavens and the earth. And so by your mouth, you can create things. The Bible says that heaven and earth may pass away, but my word, meaning God's word, will never pass away. So if you're made in the image of God, you best believe heaven and earth may pass away, but your word are still going to live on after you're long gone. Are you with me? So what begins to happen is the Bible also says that, that you know, God's going to forgive you all your sins. He says that, and, and he says that um, uh, your sins are cast, in the book of Isaiah, I believe it is, in the sea of forgetfulness. That he forgets all your sins. It's an amazing thing that if you ask God right now, sincerely, God forgive me for all my sins, he literally forgets them. And if you wanted to remember them, he could not. Because he's that awesome of a God. Doesn't mean that you're going to forget them. You'll keep on reliving them. Because we're human and that's what we do. But the Bible says that although he forgives you for all your sins, he says that um, when you stand before him on judgment day, you will hold an account for every idle word that ever proceeded out of your mouth. So I began to think, why would God forgive me for all my sins, but still hold me accountable for what I said? Because the words I speak are life and death. And the words I speak, whether you like it or not, are eternal. The words you speak will live on. So is why you can open up a book from somebody who quoted something a thousand years ago and still find truth behind it. Why? Because heaven and earth may pass away, but my word, God's word, will never pass away. How is it that the scripture never seems to lose its value to us, even though it's over 2,000 years old, the New Testament, and the Old Testament some eight to 10,000 years old? Why is it that it has not lost value to us? Why? Because his word is always going to be great to you. His word is always going to be alive and powerful. So in retrospect, looking at it from the other spectrum, if you were to speak against yourself, you are made in the image of God, and you say, I wish I was dead. Here you are driving a little motorcycle, and you just said, I wish I was dead. A car cuts you off, bam, one, two, three, you're in hell. No, huh? How did I get here? Well, you said you wanted to die, so we just helped you out. That makes sense. You got to be careful what you say. I hate my family. I hate my job. You know what I can't understand? I've always told people, "Thank God for your job. Thank God for your job. Thank God for your job." And they say, you know, I thank God for my job, but God don't care about the but. God wants you to see that you're faithful in the little he's given you. Because if you can't take care of your little $10 an hour job, then how God's going to give you a $20 an hour job? 
And if you can't take care of your $20 an hour job, how God going to give you a $100,000 a year salary job? You've got to be faithful in the little things. You've got to be faithful in the smallest of things to the greatest of things. You cannot let your perception of your job, you know, hinder the way you speak of it. Because then that is the legal right to enter into your life. Somebody say, oh no. Um, you must understand that, that the Bible says to, to, to watch what you say. The Bible says to believe it's in, I'm not sure if it's in Ephesians or Galatians, to, to make sure what you say, every, every word that you say is edifying to the hearers around you. Meaning if you're having a conversation with somebody and you're calling yourself a Christian, you should not be having a conversation that's not going to edify somebody, that's, that's going to hurt somebody. Christians don't tell dirty jokes. I don't know if you, you read that in the fine print. I'm just, come to Jesus and the fine print says you can't tell dirty jokes. I still got people sending me crazy jokes online. I'm like, you know I'm a pastor. You sent it to pastor at GVA mail and you would send me a picture like that. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand how people are still comfortable sending me messages recursing in it. I, that doesn't make sense. Did that register to you? Would you sit there and send me a, a message, a text message or an email with curse words littered all across the thing? You would think that someone would understand, well, this is not just a pastor. It's my pastor. Maybe he's not going to appreciate this. And by you having all this language issues, it's allowing the enemy to come into your life. It's not even a window. You're opening a major door. It's you open all the doors in the house and say, Lord, just, I mean, devil, just come right on in. I made a room up for you upstairs, and, and I want you to have a great time at my place. You're, you're at home. You know, don't, 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 don't leave. You're home. You're okay. You're all right. We have to watch the things we say. We've got to watch the things we say about our family. You need to watch what you say about your life. You need to watch what you say about the provision God has given you, whether your job, your car, your, 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 your material belongings, all the things in your life. You've got to watch what you say about it. You've even got to watch what you say about your cell phones or what you say on your cell phones or what you're texting because that still counts as words. <laughs> gotcha. You've got to understand that when you allow these things to come in, these spoken self-curses, that the enemy has that right to come in and mess with your mind. Has anybody ever said something that a couple months later came back to bite you in the butt? Said something about somebody, and a couple months later, you had to rephrase how you said it? Uh-huh. Because you wanted to make sure that nobody got into a huge conundrum about it? And then you had to lie and say, well, I didn't mean it like that when you did mean it like that. Say what you mean, mean what you say, right? If you really thought that about them, you should have just told them in the first place. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm sorry. That's all there is to it. It's simple. So when you have these issues, you have these problems with your mouth, and you're speaking curses against yourself. So the Bible says, I will bless those that bless thee, and I will curse those that curse thee. So, if God's going to bless the people who bless you, and curse those who curse you, and you curse yourself, that's a double curse now, because God's going to curse you also. And then you wonder why you can't pray at night. Because you say, I find it so hard to pray. 
The devil's like, great, so it is working. You see, because the devil, the devil is not like God. God can be in your heart and your mind. The devil stands on the outside of you. He does not know your thoughts. The only way he is able to tell that what he's doing is affecting you is by you saying it with your words. So the moment you say, I can't take this anymore, I'm tired of this, he knows, God, it's working. It's working. The moment you say, I, I fall asleep every time I read my Bible, he's like, great, it's working. It's working. Instead of saying stuff like, you know, God, next time I read the Bible, I want you to give me more insight. Don't add to the end, because last time I didn't get nothing. Just say, God, give me more insight, Lord. God, help me to pray just 10 minutes longer. Let me start with, start with 10 minutes longer, God. Help me to pray more. Help me to just do a little bit more, God. And stop giving the devil so much leeway in your life according to what you say. How many of you actually love to pray? By a show of hands, anybody here love to pray? Amen, amen, amen. Notice I don't have my hands up. That's just the truth. I find it really, really hard to pray, which is why every Monday night I got to make sure I pray for at least 20 minutes on the microphone, because I know that that's one of the only ways that I will pray is if I'm exalting God and praying with others. It's the truth. It's a constant struggle in my life to actually sit there and, and stay there for an hour during the day praying. I've made my list. I've made everything I could think of. I made my favorite song list on the computer. I've made my favorite everything. I, I've even prayed with preachings going, and I'm going. I find every which way. And to be honest, yes, it is a struggle. And you say, Pastor, you just said don't say that. But I'm saying it for the sake and purpose of just an example, people. And yes, though we know it is a struggle, it does not mean that we don't have to pray. It means that we need to find ways asking God for his um. For his supernatural power to help, just to, it's, it's difficult. Because when you pray, that's when you think about all the things you don't want to think about. It's like when I try and go to sleep, I was wondering if we had done something on the outside yesterday, and I couldn't, I, I was racking my brain for an hour to think of whether or not we had just put this little piece away. And it kept me up for an hour last night, Emma. It was horrible. But you have to realize that the things you do in life and the things you say have a definite, definite effect on your life. Has anybody here realized that the things you said have had an impact on your life? So if you know that, stop speaking negative about everything in your life. Don't just sit here and amen, everybody. you got to sit there now and say, you know what? I know it's having an impact on my life. God said my words are life and death. My words will never die. So if I'm going to sow a word into myself about myself or about my life, I need to make sure that it is positive. Because when the Bible says to make sure that what you speak is edifying to the hearers, it's also talking about yourself. Everybody say amen. Did you just hear yourself? You get what I'm saying? It has to be edifying to its hearers. So when you're sitting there and you're saying, I wish I was never born. I wish I died. I wish I could die tomorrow. I wish God would just take me in my sleep and we make it sound holy. And you wake up the next day. That shows you God don't want you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Why did I wake up? Because I didn't want you. Isn't that horrible? If you ask God to take you in your sleep and he ain't take you, something's definitely wrong with you. 
I'm going to move on to the next topic. Um, another way the enemy can come into your life and have that legal right to be there is by having cursed objects in your house. Understand that um, physical objects can carry a spiritual value, such as idols, occult things, books, uh, different types of uh, jewelry that has, that has uh, an occultic view on it. Um, I might get into trouble here. Certain movies. How many of you know that you shouldn't be watching every movie that you watch? Somebody say amen. But it still don't stop you from watching them. Isn't that weird? It's weird that we know that all this music that we listen to, we shouldn't listen to. But yet that doesn't stop us from listening to it. So it's going to take something like you having a bad spiritual experience for something crazy to take place in your life to shake you and wake you up to realize that these are one of the things in your life that are allowing the enemy to come into your life. Because, you know, you cannot sit there and listen to half the music out there and not be wrestling with a spirit of lust. And you can say, well, Pastor, I'm not wrestling that. I listen to hip-hop and I listen to this. You're lying. Because that stuff infiltrates your spirit. You have to realize, I told you a thousand times, it's scientifically proven that music is the only thing that crosses from one hemisphere of your brain to the other without you ever mentally, subconsciously, or consciously allowing it to. That's why they come up with subliminal advertisement. You think that every, do you think I woke up one day and wanted to remember that the best part of waking up was Folgers in my cup? No, but the music behind it ingrains it in you. You think I really want to be an Oscar Mayer wiener? No. I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener. No. But because those things are played with music, it gets ingrained into your spirit. Y'all with me? You know I'm not lying. Huh? You have to understand that even these certain TV shows that come in with these, with these catchy songs. I was, I was sitting around the dinner table the other night. <laughs> this is pretty funny. And um, somebody mentioned a certain TV show. And, and, and they began to sing the theme song to it. And we sang it together and laughed the whole way through. If I recited it right now, I bet you most of you can actually recite it with me, so I won't go to the whole thing. But if I was told you, in West Philadelphia, born and raised, on a playground, chilling out, Max, you know, you did what I'm saying? You know the whole, did you really, really, really want to remember that Carmen's like, ¿Qué pasó? I don't know. <laughs> And I didn't even have to, I didn't have to use the tune to it. You knew what I was talking about. I remember, you know, one of the worst TV shows I ever saw, and it just annoyed me. It wasn't funny to me. I don't know why I used to watch it when I was really little. It was that stupid show, The Nanny. She was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, till her boyfriend kicked her out one of those crushing scenes, and I can't get the song out my mind. Because that piano riff is behind it. And I cannot. Why? Because music has an impact on what you remember and how you retain knowledge. That's, that's, right. that's why the schools use music now in the, in the young grades. And, and Kyle, my nephew, sits at home and he watches these little movies. And they're teaching him how to say things and teaching him how to do things. And we were watching Avatar a couple of weeks ago. He was watching with his mom about a month and a half ago. And he's like, they're, they're flying up. And he's like, Sube, Sube. And Judy's like, what did you say? Dave's like, I don't know. He's not even talking English. 
Like, where'd you learn that, Diego? And kids learn things because of movies and because of what they're watching and the music that is played behind these things. You ever watch Blue's Clues? You know, I, my, my, I went to my DVR one day, and the whole thing was Blue's Clues. I said, there's got to be something good about this that my nephew knows that I don't. So let me watch Blue's Clues. <laughs> and there's just certain things that they repeat every show. We have a clue. And it's just like, and he's just, he goes to school, and he's like this, and nobody knew what was going on. He was like this. And you're like, what's the matter with your son? He goes, Judy goes, oh, it's Blue's Clues. He's going to the teachers like this. Yes. That's true. The guy who created Blue's Clues was a heroin addict. Carmen would know that. But the point of it is, is that you have to watch out what your kids are watching. You got to be able to be careful and say, okay, if I'm listening to this kind of music in my life, what am I allowing my kids to listen to? Are you raising a bar or lowering the standard? That's just the truth. You see, the Bible says this, and I'm going to do a, a, probably a full-length preaching on it on a Sunday, and it says this, that when the enemy comes in like the flood, that God will raise up a standard. So my question to you is, are you the flood or are you the standard? Are you a part of the problem or are you a part of what God's trying to use to stop the problem? I would challenge you that in many areas of your life, you are the problem. And that if you would be honest with yourself and say, you know what, I've got some serious issues and I might have some cursed objects and movies in my house and I have these different things in my house or artifacts or types of jewelry and I'm holding on to this good luck charm and, and I have this rosary here and I have this and I have that and I have this book about astrology and I have this about um, um, the Pisces. For those of you here last week, just get the CD. It's free. <laughs> You're a Christian this week? Or not a Pisces. You're what? What are you? A Christian. We have no Scorpios here. We're all Christians. Somebody say amen. We don't lay claim to what the enemy is trying to put in our lives. <laughs> you have to understand that the things you have can allow the enemy to come into your life. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll go a little further for the men. If you have a problem looking at pornography, it's quiet. It's quiet. If you have that issue or have that in your house, you are having a place where you are allowing the enemy to keep it and to bring a lustful spirit into your life. To bring a spirit where you are addicted to something like that. To bring a spirit where now, now it causes problems in your, in your, in your relationship with your wife's. Because you single folks shouldn't be doing nothing. <clears throat> uh, Lord have mercy. Got a, something stuck there. So what happens is, is that when you have that issue, what happens is that the people or the woman that God has put in your life can no longer satisfy you because you have such an issue with how they are performing in an intimate fashion, I'll leave it there, that they can no longer satisfy you. And what happens you end up with broken relationships in your life, looking for something you would never find. It's like your first high. You would never recapture the first time you got high. It's going to be the greatest high of your life. Don't go out and get high tomorrow because you never did it. But it's scientifically proven it is the highest high you will ever get. 
And after that, what an addict does is try to recreate the exact feeling, and he never can, so his dependency upon it grows, and he uses more and more, and as he uses more, he becomes uh, more immune to the actual drug itself, and then he tries to, or she tries to keep on going, and they just keep on infiltrating their body with these substances until they grow such a dependency upon it that they cannot imagine their life without it. Better yet, they don't even want to imagine their life without it. It's like losing a kid. It's tough. It's hard. You with me? What cursed things in your life do you have? Do you might say, you know, I never looked at it like that, but that might be something that really is affecting me. How many of you have seen things in movies that freak you out? How many of you can't watch certain types of movies? Oh, why is that? Why is that? Because you're afraid of something. Don't try and act holy and say, I don't watch it because I know it's not right. No, you're afraid to watch. You know why I will not watch horror movies? Because I might get scared. You think I want to sit there and pay for somebody to scare me? I want to go to the theaters to watch The Last Exorcism, or whatever, whatever it's called, just so I can, J Josh, I can be scared on, in PT with Melvin right now over there. I don't have to pay $10 to the movie to, just to somebody to scare the heck out of me. No. He'll be all right. He'll be all right. Isn't it true, though? You're afraid of something, and so you refuse to watch these types of movies. How many of you know that sometimes if you watch something, you won't be able to sleep at night? Anybody ever watch Forensic Files late at night? Talking about serial killers, and then you go to sleep, and that's the one night you check all your windows and all your doors? That's the night. You have this bad feeling in your spirit, and you feel as if something's going to happen. And some of us have so many bad feelings in our spirit that the one time something does happen, I knew it! God spoke to me! No, you're just like over-emotional, and you think you know everything. You know? That's like everybody's a prophet after something happened. God had shown me that years ago. I'm sure he did. Do you have it on CD? No? Then leave me alone. <laughs> Do you have it on tape? No? Okay. Is it on video? No? I want to hear it. I'm sick and tired of all these afterward prophets. God had revealed to me in a newsletter, but I can't find it right now, that he was going to do this and shake the nation's economy. Come on. Everybody's a prophet, after, a doomsday prophet after the fact. Nobody remembers the good stuff. Nobody says, God told me that the economy was going to bounce back. You think God only talks about bad stuff? No. Read the Bible. Somebody say amen. We have to renounce these issues or these things you might have in your life by a show of hands. How many of you think that you might have something in your life that you know you shouldn't have at home? So why is it there? If you know you shouldn't have it. I came to a conclusion in my life that as a young man, or in general, uh, there's two things that I should never have in my possession. Not just because I'm a pastor. I made this decision long before I was ever a pastor. I should never, ever have condoms in my house. Shut up. <laughs> That's not going to happen in my household. Because that is giving me an excuse or a reason to do something. 
That's giving me a, a second option instead of abstinence. That says to me, well, just in case, uh, this is a just in case type of thing. No, there is no just in case. You should not have that stuff in your life. Maybe the same isn't for you, but it is for me. I refuse to have lighters in my household. In my possession, in my room, I can't help what Judy does. But <laughs> I don't have lighters or matches in my room, in my car, in my possession. Why? Because I know myself. And if I have a lighter, it's a matter of time before I get a pack of cigarettes. If I have a lighter, it's a matter of time before I go buy some weed. I know myself, so I put barriers into things that I know that will help me not fall into the same issues that I once dealt with. Why? Because God knows that I used to have, if I have that lighter, the devil has a right to always tempt me with cigarettes. He says, we have a lighter already. You didn't even got to buy a lighter. You just like, get a cigarette. Go to Lucy. It's like 75 cents. 50 cents. Go buy one. Hurry up. Go, 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 go. I'm like, oh, my God. And before you know it, you're at the gas station, 3 in the morning, buying Lucy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Carlos is like, testify, pastor, testify. Manny, too, he just threw his two cents in there. Somebody say amen. If you have accursed items in your life, you should make every attempt to get rid of them so that you can have true freedom in your heart, in your mind. If you know that some things are not of God and you're saying that you are of God, then you need to really make the decision to not let it affect your life, to not have it around you. I recently was with someone who had a, 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 a issue with drugs, and I, I found a cut straw within their possession, and I said, is this what you really need? Oh, it was months old. You say it's months old, but in reality, I don't know how old it is. Do you really think you need this? Is this what you really need? No, no, it's not. I took up all the straws I found in their whole place and I threw them out. I don't care. I walk through anybody's house and take whatever if I know it's not of God and you're with me. And then you're saying, I'm your pastor, Emma, I'll go to your house. And if I see something, that's not of God. Shh. You have got to get bold with the devil. You realize that? If the devil can mess with your future... See, I put it like this, I'll put it to you like this, and I'll say it like this, that if I took, Ricky, if I took your car, and I took it and just crashed it right into the uh, railroad over there, one of those posts over there, and just totaled it and walked away, would that be okay? Why? Do you need your car? To do what? To drive, go where? To work? And do what else? Church and see Yvette? <laughs> Yvette's like, me, me, babe, me, me. We just got engaged. You didn't remember me? Stop. You're on fire today. Think about it. So it's not okay for me to take his car and drive it into the railroad, but it's okay for the enemy, the devil, to be in your life driving you around, messing with your future, messing with your finances, your job, because you're speaking negative about it all the time, messing with everything in your life. But yet you wouldn't even hold... You wouldn't even let nobody even touch your stuff. You with me? Are you with me? Somebody say amen. The enemy is, I described it last week and I touched on it, like a parasite. Allow me to take just a few minutes and I'll close to talk about this spiritual parasite. Parasites in the spiritual aspect want to attach themselves to us and suck the spiritual life out of you. You with me? 
They want to, um, left to their own vices, parasites will weaken us and make life needlessly unpleasant. Anybody ever felt that like you have an unpleasant life? Be honest. One, two, three. For all you folks are talking about you're always bored, got nothing to do, you have an unpleasant life. Oh, raise your hand real quick. <laughs> got five. So, <clears throat> you have to realize things about a spiritual parasite. They are the spiritual equivalent to the physical parasite, such as a tapeworm or a hookworm, we'll say, okay? It's not just non-Christians who need to be wary of parasitic spiritual worms. It is quite possible to have them for years without realizing what it is or what it is that is keeping you in that position or below optimum health. Everybody knows, you've seen it on those TLC shows, that a parasite can live in you for years, and you never, ever know it, and you're unhealthy, and the person's like, I kept on having problems with this, with that, with this, and they never knew why. It's the same thing in your spirit, whether you're saved or not saved. You can have a spiritual parasite sucking the nutrients out of your spirit, uh, sucking the, the life out of your body, literally speaking, and you never know why. It goes undetected for a long period of time. A person is not possessed by the devil when they have parasites. He has full or she has full control except for a tiny aspect of their life. And even in that aspect, they retain partial control over their life. So if you have a control over your sin in your life, it's still a parasite because it's still there. And you at any point can fall back into that sin with him, with her, with that drink, with that cigarette, with your cussing, with your mouth, with your gossip, whatever it is. You may have some type of control, but truth be told, if you get the chance, you're going to do it. That is a spiritual parasite within your life. You have to understand a person with spiritual parasites can do almost anything without parasitic in interference, speaking of the natural. Only in the area of nutrition, speaking in the natural, does a person lose a degree of control in their body. They decide what to eat and when to eat, but until the worms are banished, they cannot prevent the actual parasite from robbing their body of that nutrition. So when it comes to your spirit, you may have control of going to church, you may have control of lifting your hands and praising God, but the nutrients and the things that God is trying to sow into your life for what you're outputting never get to your deepest part of your spirit because the devil is right there to steal it away. And then what happens? You live a fruitless life in God, never wondering why you come to church as much as you can. You pray and you read the Word of God and you never truly find strength or peace in it because in reality, you have a spiritual parasite in your life sucking the life energy out of you. You with me? Uh, demons of lust, for instance, um, harass Christians with usually intense and prolonged temptation. This can be more distressing, and the person might voluntarily surrender to the temptation. Perhaps, for example, under the illusion that resistance is useless, when in reality God has promised that no temptation will be too strong for Christians to overcome. So a demon could flood a person with horrific temptation, but it could never compel a Christian to sin. The Christian compels themselves to sin. Did everybody understand that? You compel yourself to go out and sin. You compel yourself to do these things. 
Valve describes it as the idea being brought into your mind. That once it has matured, reached its full term, it gives birth. And uh, sin gives birth to death. Because there's nothing that can come of sin but death. All because you've said things, done things, or have things in your possession. You're dealing with generational curses. You're dealing with demonic vows that you might not realize you took. You're struggling with strongholds of sin. And you've allowed the enemy to have all these different legal rights into your life. And you're struggling in your spirit, not wondering why you can't get to the next level in God. Hoping that one day God's going to have some special preacher run into town and set you free in your life and you're just going to catapult your spirit and you're going to live happily ever after in the mission fields for God. No, 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 that, that's not how things work. You have to get in the trenches of your life. You have to fight for your life every day. You've got to fight the enemy. When, it, when you get that temptation to, to, to have sex, say no. When that addictive spirit comes to you, you refuse to say no. I can't give in to these things. I refuse to. I won't. And say things positively. Speak life into yourself. Edify yourself. Rebuke the enemy because the fact of the matter is you can have a parasite for years and never, ever know it until a situation comes up and you find yourself slipping like you've never slipped before. Has anybody been there? Or to the point where you thought you had something beat in your life just to find out that you were not as strong as you thought you were in the moment you saw something or saw that person or saw an issue or saw a TV show that reminded you of it or read it in a magazine or you saw something that brought a recollection of that sin to you, the first thing you did was go back and do it again. Because the parasite is undetected in your life. And then for the past six months as you've been doing good, and somebody testified here. You were doing good for six months, and then you slip in sin of what we call a big sin. And you commit a big sin. And once you commit that big sin, you feel as if you can no longer come to church. Everything you learned in the last six months is useless. That you feel like if you are on, that God can't use you. You condemn yourself. And everything you have gained in the past six months is lost in a few moments of pleasure. Because the parasite will wait sometimes to strike. It'll wait in your body and just take the bare minimum to survive. And one day when that parasite gets the strength, he will go on an all-out assault upon your immune system and upon your body. It's the same thing with the spirit or the devil. He might just wait till he knows he's gotten enough of you. And once he realizes that he's got the foothold he needed, he will take a stronghold in your life. And he will attack you, and he will take every which thing he possibly can from your life. You need to realize that there's things you're saying, doing, or things that are in your possession, or things that have happened within your family. All these different types of things that you need to analyze your life. You cannot just go about your life reading the Bible and saying, I'm a Christian, amen, hallelujah, and not investigating what a Christian's all about. You have to find out where in your life you can ask God to give you the strength to walk away from the things that have so easily beset you for so long. To say, God, if I'm truly seeking change in my life and not just a positive life experience, that God, I'm going to need to know what I can and cannot have in my life. Emma, are you married? Do you do all the things you did before you were married? Now? When you were single, 
Well, define single, single. I thought they was just single, but now Emmanuel Rodriguez has described to us there is a single, single. Could you please come on up? Describe to the church what a single, single is. Oh, I thought you meant something different. So take God, come on, don't go anywhere. Take God out of the equation. Take God out of the equation, okay? Suppose you're not a Christian. Now you're married. Do you still do all the things you did before? He's treading softly here. Okay, okay, okay. So, <laughs> she's like, I'm pregnant, just say no. Okay, here's the question. <clears throat> take God, take the whole super holiness out of the equation. Let's all get down to normal, regular, us sinful humans, okay? When you get married, if you're a morally upright man, you understand that? Do you do the same things you used to do before you met your wife? Or is your life different and the way you act and the things you do different? You guess? We're asking the wrong man. Do you still go out and party? Do you still sleep around, have one night stands? Do you still watch pornography and just sit there and do your thing? You're different. Why are you different? Now he's different. I just had to draw. I'm trying to keep it PG. Well, I can break it down for you. I'm just, uh, I was trying to just, we have visitors. Like pastor said those things at church. So that the thing is, you're different now. Why are you different? What is that going to do anything? Out of what? I can't hear you. I can't, what? They can't hear you in the back. Can you tell those two young ladies in the back over there? Oh. So out of respect for God, why don't you do some things different in your life? Out of respect for God, why don't you do some things different in your life? If you're claiming to be changed and living differently, then why do you still act the same? I'll close with this. I remember the lady who came to do the praise dance with her crew from the other, the, that crew from people, I forgot, Lift Them Up Ministries, I guess, they, what was that name of the ladies? Raise Them Up, there you go. Close, huh? same thing. And, <laughs> and uh, she said that she had used to be in a, a, a homosexual relationship and that she used to be a lesbian and that when she saw the person that she used to be in a relationship with for a long time, that the person said, I didn't even recognize you. That should be what your goal is, that people don't recognize you in life. You got one, two, now, now you're getting the picture. That people say, you know, maybe they recognize you by faith and say, you're so different now. I'm tired of explaining to people that, yes, I'm a pastor now. It's tough. It's really hard for some people to believe that. Huh? Besides the Mohawk, I mean, pastors don't have Mohawks. I heard that just the other day again, you know. But it's hard for people to understand that you're a Christian sometimes. People hold you to this ungodly standard. You know it's pretty funny? My little cousin Jonathan is in the back over there sitting next to Minister Jose. He, um... Uh, so what are we clapping for? So, um, I'm just kidding. So why'd you put your head down? 
Every time I hang around Jonathan, I, I, I went to go buy my new phone with him. And everything I did, he would try to be funny and say, Pastors do that? I smacked him. Pastors do that? Pastors don't hit little boys. You hurt me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pastors drive fast on the highway? I'm just like, dude, shut up by the end of the ride. I'm like, get out of my car. <laughs> He's a random red light, but, you know, just rushing past the light. You know, pastors do that? You know, you say something like, you say, that, you say anything that sounds wrong, pastors say that? And he has this ungodly level that he's trying to fool around and hold me to. I know he's kidding. It's all right, J.O. It's okay. But how many people do it to you? You're a Christian. You're a, you can't do that. You're a Christian. Oh, my God. Jesus is walking right behind you. I know you have a cross in your trunk. I'm going to pull it out and use it on you. If you have a car. <laughs> just, I just, you get what I'm saying? And they hold you to these standards that are just so unrealistic. But you have got to try your best. Because I bet you when you first met her, some of the standards she had seemed unrealistic to you. But you compromised because you fell in love with her. And you said, okay, you guys are getting married soon, right? Now you can clap, Diana. The one time you're supposed to clap, you're talking over the seats. My goodness. Well, these two young people are getting married soon enough. <laughs> Woo! And, um... I'm very excited about that. And uh, they, they have got to realize that they've come to a conclusion that they might not like everything about each other, but they're compromising. Why? Because they love each other. If that's like, that's right. Ricky's like, she said what I wanted to. <laughs> I got your back, Rick. <laughs> Don't worry. So when it comes to God, you might not like everything, but because you love him, you accept things in your life. Which is the reason why you need to analyze your life and say, where am I allowing the enemy in my life? Do I have, on a natural level, um, the Ricky, you would say to yourself, um, why do I have this girl's number in my phone? I shouldn't have it here because I know it just might get me in trouble. <laughs> that was tough from the back row. So... In my sense, I had to delete a couple numbers from my phone, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, I'm being honest, minister, I deleted a couple numbers. Why? Because it's just inappropriate. And I didn't see it until I, I was actually, in, I was like, you know, I, should, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have these numbers. Oh, my goodness. And it took for somebody to sit there and tell me, you shouldn't have those numbers. And at first, I was a fellow, well, you don't understand, I'm a pastor. I said, no, 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 I shouldn't have these numbers. Let me delete all these numbers. It was a lot. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have a lot of room in my sim now. I'll just say that. But in, a, in retrospect, when you come to God, these things in your life where the devil has rights to be in your life, with your mouth, with your language, with the things in your life, with the music you listen to, the movies you watch, with the, with the, uh, the way you unfor uh, your unforgiveness, the, the devil has a legal right in your life. And God's saying, why is he still there? Why, why is he still messing with you? Why? How many of you ever been in a serious relationship? Raise your hand. Come on. A serious, as my sister Judy would put it, a serious, committed, monogamous relationship. And the majority of us, I'll say, I hope, would be hurt if the other person chose to go cheat outside of the relationship. That hurts. Or you wouldn't trust them 
if they started rendezvousing with their ex-boyfriends or girlfriends. Or ex-husbands if you're older. Depends on how old you are, what your caliber is here. So depending on what the things you have in your life, you are not okay with some things happening. No matter what the other person tries to sugarcoat it, you are not okay with it happening. How do you think God feels when you're watching things you shouldn't watch? You think you're supposed to be married to Christ and you're, and you're messing with the things of the devil. You have the things of the enemy in your life, in your house, in your cars. You're doing and saying things that are opposite to what you're confessing with your mouth. With our mouths we praise God, and with our mouths we curse God. The Bible says blessings and cursings cannot flow from the same mouth. I would challenge you, I'm seriously challenging you, to analyze your life and say, where am I allowing the enemy to have that spiritual right in my life? Where am I allowing the enemy to say, to, to, to be able to have an a, a authoritative position in my life? A driving force in my life? And then once you find out, because some of you are going to be there all night, don't do it too late. If you do it, sit down around 8 o'clock, because some of you are going to be up to like midnight writing stuff down. <laughs> Give yourself the opportunity to be free once and for all. Renounce it, rebuke it, and say, God, I desire true freedom in my life. I desire the truest freedom in my life. And because of that, I'm going to take steps to chase after you. I'm going to take steps to work towards my Christian life, my Christian goals. I need more of God in my life. You with me? And once you figure some of this stuff out, you'll be able to find new levels of freedom in your life. You'll be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to be struggling. I'm not going to be just pushing and always feeling like if I'm just like hitting rock bottom every time. And you're going to be able to say, you know what, God, I desire more of you because I desire more of you. I'm going to let some of these things go. If it doesn't edify you, God, I don't want to be a part of it. If it doesn't work towards the betterment of my Christian want, God, then I don't want it in my life. God, I'm serious about a relationship with you. I'm serious about letting go of some things so I can have a future with you. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet. Come on, grab the hands of the person next to you as the last plays very spiritual music. <clears throat> getting better man I thank God for our praise and worship team they get better every Sunday I said just Sunday amen we, as we bow our heads dear Heavenly Father we come into your presence God with true um, joy tonight God just to be here God God we ask you the word we spoke tonight will have bearing on our life God God, that it would give us direction, God, that we would open our eyes, God, and not just open our eyes. Some of us know the stuff we heard tonight for the longest time, but that tonight we can get the unction to actually put what we heard into practice, God. That we're not just be hearing stuff as usual, God, as we always hear stuff, God, but that God will hear it tonight, God. We hear it tonight and say, you know, I got some things, God, that I need to change, and I can't do it without you. So I need your help, and I need your spirit to guide me and help me through this process because I truly desire the change in my life. I want to do exactly what you want for me, God. Nothing more, nothing less. I want to live for you, God, in every moment of my life, God. God, that this word tonight can bear fruit into our lives. God, that the devil would not have legal rights into my home, into my relationships, or my, 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 my job, or your finances, God, and our marriages in this church, God. But that, God, you will be in total control, God. Tonight, God, we ask you for your liberating power, God, 
to be in us, God, to be over us, God. And as we leave this place, God, that we would never leave your presence, God. The people of God say...